Welcome back, everyone. This is the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley, your host, and joining me, as always, is Joel Wood. Joel, you're excited to talk about the end of Season 7 and, and Season 7 in general, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm very excited to talk about the last six episodes again. <laughs> well, we did that mostly two weeks ago. Um, this week, we're going to talk about it more generally and, and some of the things we didn't talk about. And most of that's Jack. So actually, you, you'll be pretty happy, I think. Yeah, I'll be I'll be happy for about 85% of the podcast today. <laughs> we won't mention that character whose name that we won't mention. Oh, we're um, going to mention it. <laughs> anyway, uh, like I said, we're going to pick up with some of the stuff that we didn't get to address during the episode's uh, review. Um, and, and the big thing from that, actually, we'll come to in a bit because that's, that's Jack's illness. But we're going to start a little bit further back in the season and take a more general look at the moral debate that is raised over the course of season seven of whether Jack is a lawbreaker or whether he's actually a hero. Um, Joel, I think I know which side of the debate you fall on, but just for clarification. You say whether who's a lawbreaker or a hero? Jack? Jack, yep. Uh, hmm. To me, he's at least through season seven, uh, I would consider him a hero. Um, because none of the, um, now don't get me wrong. He's, he's not opposed to, uh, breaking a law or two or 10. Um, but he never does it with the intention of putting innocent lives at risk. He never does it with the, with the intention of jeopardizing the mission. If the he law, breaks the, the if law, he breaking, breaks I feel law, like the, I feel like the law breaking is incidental. Like if someone goes, you know, well, obviously seeing season eight, but like someone goes out and robs someone, they're they're intentionally doing that thing. Whereas yeah. if Jack, say, carjacks someone, it's not because he wants to carjack someone. It's not because he wants to steal their car. He's not because he wants to break the law. It's because his suspect's getting away and he needs a way to follow them. Like there's no, I think that's probably the key difference is that actually what he does, okay, it breaks the law. And like you said, 10 laws easily broken at multiple times. In one episode. Yeah, exactly. It's never for the sake of doing it. It's always, it's the method of being the hero as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, it's not it's not the <clears throat> the breaking of the law that needs to be focused on. It's the the reasoning for breaking the law that needs to be focused on. Yeah, and and that's kind of the key to this debate, isn't it? Because <clears throat> throughout the season, I mean, we start with Jack in the Senate hearing and Senator Mayor grilling him and essentially being sort of uh, judge, jury, executioner, high and mighty you are clearly sort of scum of the earth type thing. And, and it's obviously uh, it's degrading for Jack and, and, and clearly quite wrong. But what we say over the course of the season and, and Renee to an extent, but 
um, Janice and Larry Moss and the president herself <clears throat> are all conduits to this, that on one side is Jack and then the other side are these people. And they're all, they all have different views on this. And, and Jack has that approach of, well, whatever it takes to get the job done to save American lives, I'll do it. And then you've got Larry, particularly, and, and Janice and the president, who are very much law comes first. We we can't break the law. We have to do we we do whatever it takes, but within the confines of these restrictions that we've set ourselves. And we end up with Renee, and we'll, and we'll talk more about Renee in a bit. But we end up with Renee in the middle, and I think it's great that we get this debate because we spent so long in this show with Jack supporting jack cheering for jack and kind of brushing under the carpet all of the terrible things that he does that if we didn't have that emotional connection to him you kind of think well this guy's a bit insane he he goes to ridiculous lengths and and he 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 may be a good guy but you'd never kind of consider him good well those are the um those are the the best kind of heroes to me. The the ones that you see their journey, the the perfectly imperfect um, heroes, so to speak. The ones that are struggling with not just morality, but the especially with the job that he does you see the amount of, of harm that he causes, whether intentionally or otherwise. And you see how it takes, a, how it takes an effect on him um, at various points. Um, like at the end of season three, when, you know, the events of the day just got to him so much that, you know, one of the one of the last scenes of the season is of him breaking down in, in his vehicle and crying, which is something that we had never seen at that point. Um, so it's it's the best heroes are you know it's it's not a it's not a superhero TV show. You know, there's not these perfect these perfect heroes that don't do anything wrong and always go with everything by the book. The real heroes are the ones that struggle with that aspect of what a hero is. And, you know, they do bad things. They make mistakes. But they overcome them and they overcome them to do the right thing. And I think those are the best heroes, especially as far as um, when you get to these kind of TV shows like these detective shows, these um um, episodic dramas. Um, those are those are the most the ones that are the ones that are based in realism, the ones that are realistic in nature. You've got to have that struggle because, in reality, nobody is perfect. So you can't have a TV show where Jack saves the day every season, never does anything wrong, never has any adversity. Because that season probably would have got cancelled after season two. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's uh, the thing I like about this, 
and that there is a lot to like about it. But the thing I like, one of the things I like most is that I think this is probably the best character development season for Jack. Um, <clears throat> we spot we start the season and we start you know with the whole show behind us to this point where he's got this kind of bullish pride. We see that at the start, and we see that when he talks to Senator Mayor later on that actually he knows he's done these unlawful things, but he's also saved X number of people. He stopped X number of terrorist attacks. And so the line he says that he regrets that the world needs people like him more than anything. And and he regrets, you know, things that he's done that have led to people dying, not things that he's done or, or innocent people dying, I should say, not things that he's done that has led to the law being broken, but people being saved in the same, in the same breath. But what I like is that we go from that at the start of the season to when he's infected with the pathogen for him having to kind of come to terms with everything and forgive himself for his own mistakes because he, he acknowledges that there have been many and we, we've seen that there have been many. Um, you know, Paul Reigns' death is, is, is kind of the prime example. But the fact that he has to wrestle with this himself, it's not the Senate subcommittee, it's not the president, it's not the head of the FBI, it's not anyone but himself who's saying to himself okay i'm dying can i be happy with myself can i live with or, or live with myself is probably the wrong term isn't it but can i forgive myself and you know if he has that brilliant conversation with imam gohar about um seeking god and and being sort of beyond redemption almost and him being told that actually no you could it's never too late and while he's still got the chance alive he can do it. And I, and I think that's a really, I found that to be a really powerful scene at the end of the season. And I think it just sums up the journey that Jack goes on, that you start the season. He's he's so proud of his accomplishments and so uh, forceful against people who, who detract from them. And he ends the day actually kind of, kind of being on their side, but for a different reason. Well, do I, Throughout the seasons, no matter what Jack does or how many laws he breaks or, you know, what he does in the course of mission, one thing that Jack has always maintained is um, he's willing to accept what whatever punishment comes his way. Um, he's often told he's often told people in, not to help him because he doesn't want them to pay for his potential mistakes. Um, he's said things like, I have to do this alone, or he doesn't contact CTU because he doesn't want to risk them saying no. Um, that's the main reason that Jack does this, I guess, cavalier attitude um, because he knows that if he's going to do what he needs to do, he wants to be the only one that has to go down for it. Um, now, of course, you know, he's enlisted people like, you know, Chloe to help him with um, schematics and the computer and, you know, things like that. But when it comes to, He's even at one point, he's even tried to get, he's even told Chloe that, you know, you don't have to do this because he doesn't, 
I think he would be more upset for somebody else to go down for something he did than he would for himself to go down for it. And that's why a lot of times he doesn't ask for help because he knows that there's only one way that it could end. And well, two ways it could end. Either he could accomplish the mission or somebody could go down for it. And if somebody has to go down for his mistakes, he doesn't want it to be anybody else but him. And I think that's another reason that Jack is the hero because he's always maintained responsibility for his mistakes. He's always been willing to accept whatever punishment comes his way. And Jack is always throughout the seasons, no matter what has always maintained that, you know, if somebody is going to take the fall, it's going to be me. And I think that's an admirable, admirable trait that, it all builds up to that scene in season seven toward the end that it just, when he's on his deathbed and he knows he's dying and he starts to think about all of these mistakes and he probably thinks about ways he could have done things differently. Um, and it just all weighs on him. You know, the, the death, the amount of people that have died um, supporting his mission all the people that he, all the family that he, the family that he's lost. Um, By this point, he's lost his father, his brother, his wife. Um, And it just all weighs on him to the point to where at that point, I think he's just ready to die. Mm. Yeah. And, And that conversation that you talk about, you know, he has that, that chat with Renee who kind of takes up the mantle and it's it's short lived, we know, because what she does to Alan Wilson gets her arrested and, and loses her job. But Renee is the is very much the middle person in this debate because you've got Jack on one side who is staunchly committed to his belief that anything goes when you need to try and save people, and you've got Larry and the president on the other side of no, stay within the law. And Renee very much hits that gray gray area in between and and throughout the season she gets progressively further from the fbi standing point towards jack's standpoint there is a very shaky start where she has she tells jack Schechter's office to do whatever it takes and then walks it back an episode later and it that was kind of a, a bit of a concern i think you you look at it and think well you know if you're going to cross that line don't then walk it back but it kind of works actually i think in relation to the rest of the season because she gets dragged into Jack's world but not quite his mindset we see throughout the season that she doesn't interrogate sorry she doesn't hesitate to interrogate Tanner in his hospital bed and and torture him Um, she follows through with going to Vossler's wife's house and threatening her and her child she doesn't seem happy about it it very clearly bothers her um, in a way that we I don't think it would have bothered Jack or at least it wouldn't have visibly bothered Jack. And then when Marika dies after the, the car chase with Dubaku, that's kind of an indication very much there of their differences. They have that fight, but you can see that Jack, he says, you've just got to learn to let it go. And Renee doesn't, hasn't at this point. And we see very clearly 
that although Renee is capable of these things, it's the mindset afterwards. And that's the key thing here. It's not, it, it, it's why I like what they do with the whole is torture effective angle. Because we know that torture is effective. We've spent six seasons watching torture be effective. And, you know, you look at season six when Jack was torturing Assad's man and he believed him and Assad went further and suddenly he was telling the truth. He, he wasn't telling the full truth at that point. So it's clever that what they do instead is say, okay, torture is effective, but what's the impact on the person doing it? And that's what this season's about. And this is what happens to Renee, that all of these horrible things that Jack does that she has to do start to weigh on her. And we get to the end of the season and, and she crosses the line and clearly everything's weighing on her. You, you see throughout the season how quickly Renee starts to side uh, with Jack on a lot of, on a lot of things. Um, I think, it, I think it only took maybe two or three episodes before she's already lying to um, Larry and breaking, episode and breaking two. law. Episode, episode two, two when they're going off of Tony on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so within this, within two hours, basically she's already lying to Larry and, and breaking protocols. So it, it, it shows that there's always that gray area of the law. <clears throat> and you have to ask yourself whether, whether it's acceptable to go past that gray area and whether you can handle the consequences of what's to come after you do that. Um, it's like I said earlier about how Jack is always willing to accept responsibility for everything that he's done. <clears throat> you have to be willing to accept whatever consequences come from whatever you're about to do. And I think Renee was Renee was willing to accept the the physical consequences of what she did, but I don't think she was prepared for the the mental struggle of what she was about to do. Um, physically, I think she could have accepted, you know, losing her job, getting arrested, you know, things of that nature. I just don't think she was prepared for the mental struggle of right and wrong and the, the morality of what she was doing. And, you know, she needs to realize that just because Jack doesn't show it doesn't mean it doesn't bother him. But Jack has learned to accept the mental struggle of what he's done and what he's about to do because he knows it's necessary for the mission. And I, and that's the key difference that Renee was obviously not prepared for because up until that point, she had done everything by the book. Um, she didn't really have any, reasoning or inclination to break protocol. Um, but she learned very quickly that um, the world's not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> so, you know, she, she learned very quickly that day that, 
you need to, if you're going to do anything in law enforcement or do anything with that job, you have to learn that everything is not always black and white, that there are shades of gray and you have to learn how to navigate those shades um, without losing yourself in the process. The, the telling part of this season for Renee is with Vosler and his wife and, and Jack floats the idea of it. And she, I think she questions it briefly, but then is kind of quite quick to be like, okay, fine. It's, you know, it's Henry Taylor. It's the president's husband. This is what's got to be done. And the, the idea of it, like you say, that the con- whatever consequences may come, fine. That's that's fine. The idea of it is fine. But as soon as you're kind of doing it and, and you see this innocent woman and her 18-month-old child that, in theory, you're there to point a gun at. Uh, well, she is pointing a gun at, in fact. Um, and in theory, potentially shoot them. Like, that's staggering. That is a huge, huge leap from, like you say, two hours into this season, she never lied to Larry before. And this is, that was six hours before this. And so the, the, the jump that she's had to make is is huge. Um, and it reminds me a little bit, actually, of si- sort of season one Jack. I, I was just thinking there as you were talking that the season one Jack kind of showed some remorse and, and, and showed some humanity and struggled with a lot of things. Like when the, the cop dies in, se- in episode four of season one, that affects him a lot. But now it just, it, it wouldn't. And, and that's the character journey that he's been on, that he's been battle-hardened by everything that's happened in these seasons. And he just learns to live with it. And he tells Renee to do that. But the one thing that she can't live with is, obviously, the death of Larry um, and going in and torturing Alan Wilson at the end of the season kind of feels like the inevitable final step that throughout the course of the season, she's become more and more like Jack. And we'll see, obviously, in season eight that, she is <laughs> the events of this day do really transform her into a to Jack light, but it feels like the right end for season seven for her to be putting her badge and gun aside, going in and, and doing whatever unspeakable things to Alan Wilson and consequences be damned because he's behind <clears throat> indirectly behind the death of her boss, part-time lover, and, and and that's that's how it works. I think the mo- the most fascinating thing about season seven, in my opinion, is <clears throat> the transformation of Renee Walker. Um, compared to how she was in season one, to um, excuse me, episode one, to how she was in episode twenty four. Um, or 25, if you want to count redemption, but the, the way that she, that she was in the last episode when she, uh, tortured Alan Wilson and that to me was their final, um, transformation process. That's when she officially, when she laid down her badge and she laid down her gun and she went into kind of finish off Alan Wilson um, which as we found out in season 8 she basically beat him within an inch of his life <laughs> so the the that was basically the final step in the transformation process to transform her into 
what Jack was. And of all the, you know, as we, as we end up finding out of all the women that he, that Jack was romantically involved with throughout the nine seasons of 24, um, Renee is probably after season seven, probably the most like him. Um, and that's, and that's because that she's, to my knowledge, the only one that basically does his job, does what he does. Um, you know, Audrey was never in that world. You know, she was a, she was a politician, you know, so to speak, you know, she was not, she wasn't, you saw in season four, how, like shell shocked she was at some of the things that Jack had to do. Um, it was Nina. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's 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 not get into that. I mean, you, you I'm all talking right, about man. what? Okay, well they had they had a little weekend fling. Okay, <laughs> so I guess I guess you could say that's romantically involved. You are you um, are right about Renee though, like. The, the, <laughs> There's there's a clear positioning from season seven of Renee as the next Jack in a way, and it's just there are clear things that are divergent from Jack, and and most of that is her reaction to things and the way that things impact her. Yeah, that because of the fact that even though they did the transformation of her to Jack. Like we we found out quickly in season eight that her reaction to things has changed dramatically. Okay, she she doesn't let these these moral high grounds affect her anymore, as we found out very quickly in season eight when she chopped the guy's arm off. Spoilers, but <laughs> and you know it, even even Jack was mortified, but the. In season seven, she was still. How much time passed between season seven and season eight? Eighteen months. Eighteen months. So, <clears throat> within those eighteen months, you know, she started to harden herself. But within season eight, you know, that's just uh, season seven. That was just one day, and it was the first day. And you know, unless you're like a career psychopath. You know, you can't really have these hardened reactions after one day. So I think it took those 18 months between season seven and season eight for her to kind of come to grips with everything that she did that day, from torturing Alan Wilson to um, threatening to kill Voss's daughter and his wife um, to torturing Tanner. And everything that she saw Jack do, you know, I think it took those 18 months for her to kind of come to grips with who she was now and everything that she saw that day and where she was in her life, Um, which, as we found out, was a rough 18 months. But it took those 18 months for her to kind of come to grips with everything that that she went through in just a 24 hour period. Hmm. Certainly a discussion to be had in future weeks. 
the one main thing that we didn't talk about towards the end of this season in season seven was Jack's illness. <coughs> and he gets inf- he gets infected with the pathogen trying to stop it after he uh, steals it away from the dock before Starkwood can get hold of it. Obviously, they do get hold of it very quickly and he's still infected, which is not great. Um, but he spends his final nine hours, I think it is, of season seven being infected, struggling with the, the, the disease that he's got as a result, um, having seizures, having memory loss, and, and all of these things. And it ends up, obviously, with him in a hospital bed at the end and Kim offering herself up for the experimental stem cells treatment to save his life, which obviously we know is going to happen because there's season eight. Um, so the thing I kind of want to say here is that... Um, <laughs> Season six, midway through, Fox announced. Do we, have that, to, do we have to talk about that? Yes, because it's relevant. Um, in season six, Fox announced that the show had been renewed for two more seasons season seven, season eight. So during season seven, everyone knows, and, and they're obviously building to, they're always building to season eight is a thing. It's not season seven is, is any sort of closure. It's not. Um, there's never going to be any doubt over Jack surviving because you can't have 24 without Jack. We've discussed this many times before. They did but, it. But but season eight was going to happen. And so Jack was going to live through this at the end. My question uh, and my thought process is that I actually think this would have been a really good way to end the show with, with, with Kim not coming at the final moment and, and saving Jack and Jack dying at the end of this season. And this is, this is it. I, I think that would have worked. No, I don't. I don't know if I would have been happy with that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, before, before you try and make associations with Tony and everything like that, from a perspective of Jack's storyline, the way that if if you take the way that Jack and, and the things we've already talked about today play out throughout the course of the season, his morality debate, his uh, lawbreaker versus hero debate and the acceptance that he has to have of himself towards the end of the season and, and forgive himself for all that he's done. And, and the journey that he goes on over those nine episodes, you see his conversations with Renee, with the president, with Chloe, with Tony briefly, with um, his, with Kim, obviously. You, you see these conversations that he has. I feel like there is a, a, a strong argument that as a, as a closure wrap, the end of season seven with him dying would have worked I I don't know if I'd have been happy with it um I think the the end to season eight you know had they not come back for season nine you know a few years later I think season eight was a proper end to the series um the way it happened, the we'll going talk on. about that. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. This is season seven we're on. The, the I'm getting to that, Bradley. <laughs> the the way it happened and the the finality to it. Um, the only other way I would have preferred it to end had it not ended the way it did in season eight is for Jack to kind of die in the line of duty. Technically, right. he would have done here. No, no. I oh, mean, no, he doesn't. He not, gets infected not, as a result. He tries to stop the flow of the bioweapon to stop millions of people potentially dying as a result of being exposed to it. And he dies because he's been exposed. 
Yeah, but dying, but ending the season with Jack dying as a result of a of a, of a virus, it just it it feels kind of flat to me. Well, after like, seven seasons of him winning every gunfight and every knife fight that he's ever been in, would it be satisfying for him to just get shot? Yeah. Hmm. Or, or you know, there's a say the bomb's about to go off in the building, and the only way Jack, the only way Jack, the only way Jack can save everybody is by disarming the bomb. But he can only disarm the bomb from inside the building. You know, he disarms. He he goes in the building to disarm <laughs> it, and the building explodes. Okay, Tactic. I think I, I think we're getting a, quite far into the hypothetical here. Was, my, I mean, my only point was that it would have... I, 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 I feel like Jack should have had a more... If he was to die, he should have a more grandiose death than just lying in a hospital bed infected with a virus. No, that's fair. I, I just think it, it wraps up his story quite neatly. Um, it's kind of my, my point to this. You know, I think the only... I mean, the whole storyline is wonderful. At, in, in a kind of your main characters that you love is dying kind of way. The only thing that kind of, that, that briefly lets it down for me is that there's such an understated reaction initially to him being infected. I, I absolutely love the scene when he finds out the results, but then the next scene is kind of like, well, yeah, he's dying. What do you expect? And, and, and that it never, that one thing, it felt like it lacked the impact. It's the kind of thing that when I was thinking about it, making some notes, that I that was the point at which I went right. When did when when was when was it renewed for season eight? When did this get announced? And it makes sense. It makes sense that the show having already been renewed, that they didn't structure it in a way that you kind of end it. You know, George Mason getting infected with with the nuclear material in season two comes at the end of an episode, and it's it's that yeah. bombshell. And and George found out out he was dying from the from the the virus. And how did how did George Mason go out? Look, um, look, we're not. How did he go out? We're not arguing about this anymore. But my point, but like, but but in terms of him finding out, that's the dramatic moment. It's it's a dramatic reveal. It's an ending of an episode. Whereas with Jack, it's the middle of an act, and and that was the kind of it's a bit weird. But I love everything else. I, the scene, I know you're not massively fond of Kim, but the scene between Jack and Kim at the FBI headquarters is immense. Absolutely immense. I think Kiefer is at his best, I think, of this season. Um, Alicia Cuthbert is terrific in it. It's Obviously, I spoke a lot before about how much I love that scene, that, that final phone conversation between them in season two when Jack's flying the plane and this feels very similar um, except everyone's on the same page and, and it's kind of, there's, there's a slightly different dynamic, but it's, it's just lovely. It is really lovely. And so tragic because you, you, we've spent so long with Jack and we've spent so long with Kim, you know, you, you may not like Kim, but there's a connection there and you like her because it, in a sense of this is Jack's daughter, this is someone who there's an, there's an immense emotional connection to. Um, and I just think it really works. I, I, I don't have a problem with Kim. I have a problem with the material that they have given Kim. Were you happy with this um, material? Um, 
this works, you know, I I don't mind Kim as long as they don't give her storylines that completely distract from the rest of the show. Like for for at least two or three seasons, they had her in these separate storylines, <clears throat> separate from anything going on in the show, had nothing to do with the overall threat. So you have this you have this completely um, global threat that Jack is dealing with. And then you got to cut away from, from Kim running from a tiger. I like mean, it's just, it's, it's, or a cougar or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's a, it's a disconnect for me and it disconnects me from the show when I'm invested in this global threat. And then here's Kim, you know, nursing her mother who's got amnesia. You know, it, it doesn't really, <laughs> it, it doesn't, doesn't connect for me. When they have her involved in plots that connect back to the overall arching theme of the show, like in season three, when she was actually working at CTU, didn't mind her. I didn't mind her, you know, wanting to kill Nina. I didn't mind her in season three. Season seven, I didn't mind her because, well, number one, she was gone for pretty much all of the season except for those last six episodes. And then when she was used, it was to connect to the overall story, which is why her, her scene with Jack works because it's, you get a sense of finality to it. Um, you get a sense of this may be the last conversation we have. <laughs> so in that respect, it works because um, even in season eight, I didn't mind her in season eight. She was only in like five scenes. Didn't mind that. So when, <laughs> when she has material written for her that connects to the overall story and doesn't feel like a separate show entirely, then I don't mind her. But they've written some crappy stuff for Alicia. Okay, <laughs> let's just call, let's just call what it is. Okay, they've written some crappy material for that woman. Not so here. Not so here. The the, the scene, like I say, between her and and Jack, is so so good. I love that um, scene. That's I, I I think, you know, there are there are some great emotional moments with Jack throughout the seasons, but I think this stretch of him actually dying of him actually uh, it, I, I say you know how much i love the plane scene in season two and, and and that whole sequence and that whole dynamic and this is that drawn out over eight episodes and obviously i'm gonna love it but it it it, it feels very human and there are times when jack his actions feel you, you mentioned that this is not a superhero thing, but he often feels fairly superhuman and it often feels like he is sort of detracted, detached, sorry, I should say from like a reality human being. And so to see him so vulnerable here and to see him so on the edge of death, I, I think it's just wonderful. Yeah. It's, you know, Jack often acts like a superhero, even though obviously he's not, he's not bulletproof. He doesn't have any armor. Um, but at the same time, 
he's a guy that you can relate to. You know, even though I I love me some superhero shows, I love the the Marvel movies, the DC, eh, not the movies, but the shows. Um, but I find myself more connected to Twenty Four because Jack is more of a guy that you can relate to. He's, I mean, aside the fact that you know I haven't tortured anybody, you know, to that I can speak of. That's what you're meant so, to say. Yes, that is, that is indeed <laughs> what you're meant to say. That, that I can speak of, and they're torturing anybody, um, except for maybe the people listening to this podcast. Um, <clears throat> but I relate to him because of the struggles that he goes through with everyday life and the struggles with the morality of right and wrong. You know, it's, it's something that we've all struggled with at some point in our lives. You know, even the most even the most law-abiding, perfect, you know, by-the-book citizens have that struggle with right and wrong at some point in their lives. And I think that's why you connect with Jack, because he's, he's relatable. He's not perfect. He doesn't pretend to be perfect. He doesn't try to be perfect. He makes mistakes. He does the wrong things, even if they're for the right reasons. Um, he still does the wrong things and he's always willing to take responsibility for those wrong actions. And I think that's what makes Jack one of the most relatable characters um, in television history to me. Because of, because of the mistakes that he made from season one on, from the mistakes that he made and the responsibility that he's willing to take for making those mistakes. It shows a, it shows that yes, you know, you make mistakes, you do the wrong thing, but you have to be willing to accept the consequences. And the fact that Jack was always willing to accept the consequences is what makes him a compelling character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so briefly season seven overall, good bad how do you feel season season seven episodes one through 18 thumbs up a plus season seven episodes 19 through 25 eh, i'll give it like a c (laughs) minus because i just don't i will not ever be over what they did to Tony Almeida. They had the perfect, perfect chance to have Tony save the day, have Tony save Jack and, you know, be the, be the one person besides Chloe that could be there for Jack and help Jack and, and have him and Jack take down Alan Wilson which could have been possible other than Tony trying to blow Jack up. You know, they had the perfect opportunity. They could have continued 24 without Jack if they had Tony in that lead role. I think, in my opinion, I think Tony was probably the only person that could take the lead role from Jack and still bring people in every week 
and make them want to watch the show. Because we we saw with Legacy that just because you don't have Jack, just because you put the name 24 on it doesn't mean people are going to watch. But I think if you would have had Carlos Bernard there as Tony Almeida <clears throat> in the lead role, you could have continued the series. Or you could, or even if you brought it back with Live Another Day, that's another season that you could have had Tony Almeida. And they screwed it up by having him turn just for the sake of turning. Because like I said, they we had like 25 villains this season, okay? You know, any one of those villains, Jonas Hodges, Alan Wilson, um, Juma, any one of those villains could have been a season-long villain. <laughs> Instead, you know, they brought in Alan Wilson for what, three episodes, two episodes? Yep. Um, Hodges was in what? Three, four, five episodes. Uh, he he was the villain for five, six, six. <clears throat> so I mean, any one of those could have been a season-long villain. Instead, you know, Jonas Hodges and Al Wilson were probably the two most viable, and yet you only had you only had Jonas for a handful of episodes, and you had Alan Wilson for like two episodes. So you didn't need. The Tony Twist is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. If it would have been, a, if it would have been a season that was kind of lacking on main villains, or if it would have been a season that was kind of lacking in terms of drama, then yeah, maybe I could have understood it. But you have plenty of villains that you could have stretched to a season-long villain. The Tony Twist was not needed, and that's why I feel like they wasted the twist entirely. Yeah, we're on the same page with season seven. The, the first, the first seventeen and two thirds or three quarters episodes, whatever you want to call it, basically up until Tony's twist happens, I think rival season five. I, I genuinely believe that I, I had an absolute joy watching them, and they they were a lot better than I remember them being. And there's there was, a, you know, I don't want to keep on harping on about season six. I'm bored of it, but. That it felt like season six was going through the motions of existing at times of just like we have to put out an episode, so put an episode out. It didn't feel like there was, it didn't feel like there was anything behind it. Whereas season seven, instantly from the start up until the, the twist, it always felt like you needed to sit up and take notice. It always felt again like I think there was a tagline, or, or certainly the part of the promotion in its previous seasons was like. This is this is the thing you cannot miss. You, like you can't afford to not watch Twenty Four, and all of a sudden it felt like that again. But everything with with Tony and and you're more passionate about the the Tony twist than I am. I don't like it, but I'm more frustrated with the sort of the general plot that happens after Tony's twist. It's so bland. It's so stereotypical. It's so lifeless again unlike the the rest of season seven and, and more like some of the stuff we felt in season six, it just wasn't engaging. And I think that's the, the real disappointment for me was that it it's so good for so long this season. And then the end, half of the, half of the final stretch just really fails. I say the stuff with Jack and his, his illness is magnificent and actually drags up the final six episodes a lot, but yeah, there, there there are issues there that really affect the season. One of the one of the one of the 
24 tropes that most frustrates me is their need for a villain twist, whether it be a, a mole that nobody saw coming or uh, somebody that you that Jack trusts turning their back on him. It feels like 24 goes back to that far too often. And a lot of times it works, but there's been quite a few times where it hasn't. And sometimes it feels like you, you do that twist just to do it, just to, just for the shock factor. And, you know, I found that more often than not, when you, when you have these twists and these reveals um, just for the shock factor of it, it rarely ever works um, because there was no legitimate story behind it. The, the twist with Michelle and the death of his unborn son, which was unnecessary, um, the twist with Michelle should not have been enough <clears throat> to drive him to want to blow up the one true friend that he ha always had. And I felt I felt that 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 they did it just for the shock value, and that that's what that's the main thing that frustrates me is because they went back to it again. I feel like that's a conversation we're going to be having again in a few weeks' time when we get into season eight. But um, yeah, that's what that's one to save. Let, let's let's keep that in the bank, and, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Um, but that season seven done. Uh, just before we leave you, we did actually have a voicemail sent to us. Um, we always read at the end of the, the, the podcast, we have our ways of being in contact. There is an automated voicemail system that Josh set up, and we actually had a voicemail. Um, so let's take, let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Osh. I'm a huge fan of your 24th Day School podcast. And I had some thoughts. Uh, I've kind of binged it in the last uh, few weeks, uh, maybe a few months, sorry. And uh, I know one of your uh, guys said that the Nina reveal was not really, well, it came out of nowhere. It actually didn't. There was a lot of hints. Uh, Nina, when the safe house was attacked, she left right away. Uh, she So she could have been the one that deactivated it. Uh, and uh, she was, her goal was basically uh, why she was helping Jack is because she didn't want him to draw attention to herself. So that's the main idea there. And there was a lot of hints that Nina was the mole. And the second one, uh, I know one of your other guys said that the Tony Smith also sucked. On the first time I watched 24, I agreed with him. The 24, or the Tony twist in season seven made no sense to me, especially because he didn't uh, kill Henderson when he could have in season five. But then I thought Tony is more of an emotional person than Jack is, because after all, we saw that he did... Um, Put, I mean, he did was willing to risk national security for Michelle, uh, and that's basically. Whereas Jack uh, is kind of more balancing both uh, compared to Tony. Although I think it was also lucky. We don't know if Jack, if Jack was put in season three's shoes, what would he have done? Uh, would he have done exactly what Tony did? Probably not. But it was more luckily they kind of explained it away, saying, "Hey, uh, Jack's only endangering Palmer. Tony's possibly endangering the whole world." But nevertheless, the responses were different. Uh, and that's uh, uh, all I have. And keep up the great work with the podcast and, and enjoy it. And um, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, Joel, I was watching your reaction there as we were listening to that. And um, I, I tell you, it was, it was something to behold. 
<laughs> particularly when we got into the, the Tony bits. Um, you're on record as obviously, well, in the last five minutes, on record as, as not liking the Tony twist. Um, and you're also not keen on the, the Nina twist either. So I imagine that that voicemail um, really frustrated you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... First of all... <laughs> This I mean this this is this is phenomenal I think. First of all, he said in, in the voicemail that one of your guys said that the Nina reveal didn't make sense when it did. Another one of your guys said that the Tony twist didn't make sense when it did, when it didn't make sense and I agree with that. Uh same guy. Uh that's me. Um <clears throat> I hear you about season 1 and the Nina reveal. I hear you. I understand where you're coming from, um, but you made that assumptions after binge watching it. Okay, when when you binge watch things, you tend to miss things. When you go back and analyze it, as I have, because we've done this podcast review like at least I don't know three times now, so I've had to rewatch the season like at least ten times. Um, so. Yes, when she left the safe house, that could be construed as kind of shaky. Um, but Tony was also um, kind of shaky throughout the entire season. When Tony was, or when uh, Nina had Jamie in the in the interrogation room or the comms room or whatever you want to call it, Tony was also there. <laughs> A lot of the um, shady Nina um, things that happened in season one or that you can perceive happened in season one. Um, Tony was also a part of that. Um, Tony was the Tony was the one person that she called when Jack faked her death, so to speak. Um, so as much as you can say Nina was that they had always hinted that Nina was the mole. Um, the incident with the key card. George Mason was also implicated to be a mole. So there were several different different people that they threw bones at, whether it be Tony, whether it be George Mason, whether it be Nina. <laughs> the point is, is that of those three, Nina was the one that did the most to help Jack. Um, she did the most, especially in situations where she didn't really have to. Jack didn't really need her help in certain situations to do what he needed to do. So in that respect was, I understand where you're coming from. I can see, you know, I know I see in my head the, the scenes that you're talking about, because like I said, I've seen the season like 15 times. So every scene, I can picture it in my head of what happened. So I understand that part. I just don't agree that that gave Nina away as a possible mole. Um, as far as Tony, well, you agree with me on that. So I really don't have that much to say, <laughs> except for the except for what I've already said in this particular episode alone. Mm. Um, so good job on that one. There is a point, I think, with Nina that you just have to accept that you're wrong, that everyone else in the world thinks that this is a great twist and you're just, you're, you all are in the wrong here. Great <laughs> twist. I don't know. Nina, Nina, Nina is another shock value type twist. 
like they didn't really need Nina to be the mole there. I mean, they could have easily had Jamie be the, 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 the last lifeline. Yeah, well, that's boring. But what did Nina really offer in that last in the last episode and a half where she was revealed to be the mole? What well, did she really offer well, that made the twist worth it? She kind of changed the course of 24 by killing Jack's wife. That, yeah, ha- that happened at the she- end of the finale. You, you may have missed it. Oh, no, I've seen it 25 times. <laughs> um, but did they really need Nina for that to happen? Yes. Because, because, let's, because let's be honest. Um, Terry should have died at least 10 times before that. So did they really need Nina to be the mole for that to happen? Now, Nina, now Nina in seasons two <laughs> and three was a great villain. I enjoyed her as a villain, so let let let's get that clear. Well, there you I go. Exactly. You're, pro- you're you're disproving your own point here, Joel. I enjoyed her as a villain. I would have enjoyed the twist in season one a lot more had they done more to build it up. But when it happened, it came out of nowhere. Like the the incident with the safe house. <clears throat> How many episodes before the reveal did that happen? Uh. Eight, like eight episodes. Okay, so between then and the time that there was a reveal, there was virtually nothing to suggest that Nina was a bone. That's why it's so shocking. <laughs> I agree it was shocking. Look, look I agree look, it was shocking. We, we've I had this conversation. That. We've had this conversation so many times. You're clearly not going to be convinced by it. I think we should. I, I think we can just leave it. I agree. I agree that it was shocking, dude. But all shocking twists are not good twists. Shock, shock value just for the sake of shock value is not always what works. Again, she we're going to talk, talk about this a lot more it. in future weeks. We're, we're going to oh, sit. We, we are. Season we, eight we is. Um, yeah, there there are some season eight twists that are. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah, the the, the 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 last half of season eight. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have thoughts on that. Oh god. Okay. Well, <laughs> everyone needs to prepare themselves for that. I'll prepare myself for that as well. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us as we've already heard. Uh, we have the voicemail, which is four zero five seven seven one zero five six seven. You can contact us on Twitter at the twenty four podcast. And you can also go to 24faithful.com where you can leave some uh, email feedback. Uh, But that's it for season seven. We are wrapped. We have one full season to go, followed by obviously the half season, live another day. Um, We'll be back next week where we'll dive into season eight. Hope you'll join us again then. (laughs) 